Dive deep into the blockchain realm with the Protocol Podcast with Coindesk founding editor of the Protocol Newsletter, Brad Count, and tech journalists, Sam Kessler and Margot Nykirk. They unravel the intricate technologies powering cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum, one block at a time. Just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hello and welcome to the Protocol Podcast. I'm Brad Count here with my co-hosts Margot Nykirk and Sam Kessler. First, before we get into it, please do not forget to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Protocol, on Coindesk.com. And now let's get into it, as we say, with the latest news and developments in technology behind crypto and blockchains. In our first segment, we're going to be talking about Cosmos. And uh, the big story this week from uh, our colleague Omkar Godbele, Cosmos founder calls for chain split. This is kind of an interesting one, Sam. Why don't you just just start off by kind of summarizing what was this story? Yeah, so so Cosmos is, um, for those who aren't familiar, like this family of blockchains that are all connected using this similar sort of technology, kind of like what, uh, in, in some ways to what we talk about with Optimism, Arbitrum, and some of these other things that are doing similar stuff in the Ethereum Layer 2 space. But anyway, Cosmos has been doing this for a while, and one of the founders, Jake Kwan, and we can get into this in a little bit, he's a bit of a controversial figure in that ecosystem, and after losing a governance vote, that would change the tokenomics for Atom, which is one of the tokens that runs the Cosmos hub, which is one of the blockchains or the blockchain that kind of originated the Cosmos ecosystem, he's proposed a chain fork after losing this governance vote that would change, like I said, the tokenomics, um, in specific, the inflation rate of Atom, this token. And that all just sounds like kind of a, a mess of words, but it does kind of show a lot about this Cosmos ecosystem and it matters um, because not necessarily does this, you know, fork matter. And that's something I kind of think would be fun to tease out. But it matters because it just does show that there is kind of like vibrancy going on outside of the e- e- Ethereum sphere that we focus on so much in this podcast. Maybe for someone who's not so familiar with what's going on in the Cosmos ecosystem, maybe we can take a step back and sort of like high level why is this making headlines? Like, why are we paying attention to this all of a sudden? So I did a bunch of calls yesterday trying to get to the bottom of that exact question. Why does it matter that this blockchain is forking? Uh, so a fork, for those who you know don't remember, famous like Bitcoin to Bitcoin cash forks or the Ethereum to Ethereum classic fork that we saw after a big hack a while ago is just the idea of taking your code, spinning up a new blockchain, and then just operating it, you know, as if it was there the whole time. There's differences, but Essentially, it's spinning up a new blockchain based on the code of the old chain, but with a new social consensus layer, quote unquote, which is just like new people running the chain that are more ideologically aligned moving forward. So why did this make headlines? Based on the conversations that I've had with Cosmos industry figures, I don't think it's made headlines because this is actually going to go anywhere. It's really hard to spin up a fork and we'll see if it happens. There's a ton of politicking that you need to do behind the scenes in order to get people onto your side. But I think this whole fork thing does always get headlines because those things I mentioned, Bitcoin Cash, which is still going after many years, which was like a shoot off from from Bitcoin and Ethereum Classic, which gained more traction following Ethereum's shift to proof of stake last year. Forks are always just like this big headline grabbing thing. But, you know, 
it doesn't really mean anything at its core. So we have stuff in this article where some people are suggesting that, hey, this might be a great thing for Adam as a whole. But if it does even happen, you know, there's tons of stuff that would need to happen in order. It's not like you just, you know, are ripping a chain in half. You're just spinning up something completely new based on something old. Yeah, a lot has to happen. One of the bits of feedback or information that has kind of come out since this story ran is is that Jay Kwan is, he is at least some of the people who are kind of core Cosmos folks say that he is, you know, maybe not been a core part of this project mm-hmm. for a while. And um, so I'm curious, how does that factor into all of this? Yeah, I, I guess talking about this story means we get to talk a little bit about the the, the crazy um, founding story of Cosmos, which at a very high level is just that this guy, Jay Kwan, and another guy, Ethan Buckman, Bucky, founded something called All in Bits. They built Cosmos Hub, which was the original Cosmos chain, and the Tendermint, you know, this this blockchain engine that powers a bunch of other blockchains now. But uh, after a ton of like rancor within the organization All in Bits, which was renamed to Tendermint, you know, Ethan first left and then Jay was was basically ousted, even though he retained shares and tokens, because a lot of people disagreed with his leadership. They, they spun off and formed these other organizations. Um, and, you know, a bunch of other people kind of jumped in and seized kind of the, the leadership vacuum. But then Jay Kwan came back to Tendermint, which was renamed to Ignite by this point. Then he renamed it to New Tendermint. And now people are even more angry at Jay because they say that he's not actually involved in core infrastructure development for Cosmos anymore. He's more interested in this thing called No Land. He also goes by Jesus on X and has a lot of, um, well, controversial, to put it, to put it lightly, tweets um, that have had people, you know, concerned about what it would mean for him to be a real figurehead for the community. But he hasn't really been focused on core Cosmos technology outside of some big governance debates that we've seen in recent months. And so this, to some people, is just another example of Jay kind of jumping in and just trying to assert some sort of um, influence over this project that he has largely stepped back from. Let's wrap it up there. I mean, in general, you know, Cosmos is just so fascinating. Just the people there. Uh, I met Ethan Buckman at the permissionless conference here in Austin in September. And it was a fascinating conversation, but as we're going to, we're going to talk about layer twos later uh, in today's episode. And, you know, I mean, Sam, you've written about how the cosmos model are, you know, it was in many ways the inspiration for all the kind of Ethereum scaling roadmap that we're seeing now. So, All right, well, let's move on to our next story here. Uh, This was such a fun one, Margo. This was uh, actually the story you wrote before Thanksgiving, (laughs) but we haven't discussed it yet since we didn't do a recording last week. So, But let's get into this. Uh, Nick Johnson, the the man behind the story, is, uh, is on Coindesk TV on Thursday. But Margo, why don't you tell us a little bit about this interesting story uh, that you wrote? Yeah. So, I mean, this caught the attention of crypto publications a few weeks ago when Nick Johnson, the founder of the Ethereum name service, ES, wrote an open letter on on X claiming that, you know, its competitor, Unstoppable Domains, had won a patent that Johnson claims uses, makes use of ENS's code and work and, and what he's developed. And so this 
This is an interesting story because it sort of gets at the heart of open source and and the ethos of this technology. Tell us, you know, I think there's there's a couple things going on here, right? I mean, number one is this idea of, you know, whether that's cool to patent a bunch of stuff, right? There was an, our, our former colleague, David Z. Morris, circulated this piece a few months ago about, it was like the early auto industry. You know, it was like this all, this whole community of people working to build, okay, now we're going to build the, the air conditioner or the, you know, the alternator, like different parts of the vehicle. And then there was this one person who was a complete patent troll who started just patenting stuff. And everybody in the community kind of hated him because he was like slowing down the pace of innovation. There is another question here, Margo. I think this came up in some of, you know, our back and forth with the, the, the unstoppable team, right? Is whether it's true that the, that the technology was actually first created by ENS. Yeah. Uh, well, unstoppable has come out with their own evidence showing that they've actually have receipts that they also have originated some of this technology. And then they also invited ENS to join this alliance to pledge on working on this kind of, on on this stuff. And so like Nick told us that he doesn't believe that this alliance is being done in good faith. He thinks that Unstoppable is sort of using this alliance as to be like a de facto regulator of the industry and that they would hold that sort of power as a leader in that. And so, yeah, I just think it's an interesting story because it's not just about the technology itself, but it's also just about the dynamics between competitors and between like a su- like a subsect of an industry. And so, yeah, we're just going to, you know, I'm this is a story that's continuing to evolve. Like Nick is not afraid to, you know, go to court and fight some of the things he claims is being stolen, and so we'll just have to see what they decide to do. Do we have any sense of like where community figures are kind of landing on this? Like I've gone through the the tweet threads and it, it it's hard to to suss out because whenever you're on x you just see a bunch of people who are in the camp of whatever account you're looking at just supporting them frequently for things like this it's just hard to figure out real traffic from fake traffic i don't know like from your conversations like do you think both of them have a good point or are people more sympathetic to the ens side for instance I think there's a little bit of both. Like you said, the ENS community has a strong community. And so anytime that Nick says something that, that like, like, you know, X sort of makes their voices more grandiose, just the algorithm and also same on the other side with Unstoppable. But I also think that big picture, this is almost that we're on Twitter, it's sort of being framed as good versus bad. Someone stole intellectual property. The other one is here to do, you know, to create something that's like a community good or what he claims is community good. And so it's very easy to sort of make the story black and white, but I think there's a lot more nuance in this that is, you know, trying to be told. So we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Margo, you know, I mean, just to, 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 to maybe wrap this segment up, but I'm curious when you talk to the Ethereum folks and do they agree with this broader idea that we're all going to be interacting from these domains, you know, with the way the the basic concept of having a a domain and that's going to, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to be liquidity, right? I'll probably use that on my Twitter handle, but you know, what, what do, is that going to be the normal way that 
humans are going to be interacting in the 20, the late 2020s or whatever? That's a really interesting question. I don't know specifically, like this is just my, my take right now. I think a year and a half ago when ENS was having a huge surge, I think everyone in the Ethereum community did believe that that was the way of interacting with different blockchain addresses. I'm not entirely sure now. My guess is it's more complicated as there are more tools being used to easily identify uh, blockchain addresses and also ways to combine certain addresses to make them, you know, like a more, a more unified profile so that it's not like all split up in different segments. And so I think maybe the ENS and the unstoppable domains people would probably agree together on this that like, yes, this is the way forward. But I think more generally speaking, it's more complicated and we'll, we'll have to see, we'll have to see. I mean, maybe, you know, it starts to play out on, on layer twos, but. Like Vitalik, has Vitalik ever commented on this topic? Not to my knowledge, but I could be wrong about that. Yeah. But it's not like a big thing for him. He's focused. This is more social than it is. Yeah, yeah, on right. on the the dev side, this is this, this definitely hits Web three more than it does on on the protocol right, level. Right, right, okay, all right. That is a cool story, Margot. And we're gonna wrap it there for that segment. We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Blast, the Blast from the present or the future. And uh, that was pretty corny, huh? But that's what we're going to talk about. And Sam has the story there, but we're also going to talk about some interesting layer two developments, including one that's hot off the presses. We'll be right back. Calling all developers. Consensus 2024 is happening May 29th through the 31st in Austin, Texas. Experience three days of intensive learning with technical talks. 40-plus expert speakers, and 20 or more in-depth workshops, including dedicated half-days for Ethereum and Bitcoin. Don't miss the opportunity to network at curated developer meetups, discover new career opportunities, and explore numerous side events and hacker houses around town. Score a Consensus 2024 developer pass for just $109, but act fast. Only a limited number of these passes are available. Visit consensus.coindesk.com now to secure your developer pass before they're gone. Coindesk's Money Reimagined with Michael Casey and Sheila Warren. I want to push back slightly on the idea that cash the value of it. I mean, that's what FX markets are about, right? Is like arbitraging differences in cash value. And there's a whole gigantic market around currency exchanges. And so I think there that we do see trading that happens in cash. But to your point, you know, the use of cash as a means of payment, etc., is pretty robust and sticky as a concept. And I think the joke is always, you know, if cash didn't exist, no one would invent it. But hey, it, it does exist. And so that's the world that we're in. Look, there is a crypto angle in this. Our job is not to sit here as either geopolitical or conflict resolution commentators, but it matters to everybody, every human being. Given how horrific this story is, the fact that there was an order to shut down crypto accounts used by Hamas and that Binance came in to cooperate with that, of course, is yet another negative story around crypto. Take the frame from wherever you want to take it, but by remaining silent about bad actors in our industry, about criminal behavior, about terrorists, about whatever it is, and just focusing on the topic of our show, but I mean this more generally, by remaining silent, we are complicit. You heard what she had to say. 
go out there, call spades, spades, stand up for what is right. Like just, it's time to to stop shirking the responsibilities we have. And it's just time to just stand up for what's right. Listen to Money Reimagined every Wednesday on the Coindesk Podcast Network. You can subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Okay, we are back. And thank you for being with us here on the Protocol Podcast. We're going to talk about a story that really broke last week, right, Sam? And Sam, (laughs) Sam took a deep dive on this story for the early this week. And the big story, why don't I, I'll just give a quick summary, but blast. We've been writing about the layer two explosion on Ethereum. There's all of these layer twos. Margo's been all over that story. Sam wrote a big story about blockchain in a box, Arbitrum Optimism, Polygon, Matter Labs, all these teams that have their own L2s basically providing kits that people can do to spin up layer twos, new layer twos atop Ethereum. And here was a new one. Blast, and they showed up and they had a new idea where it was going to be a layer two that pays yield. And they said that was a differentiator. And all of a sudden, there's like $600 million in this thing. And it's not even a live blockchain yet. So Sam, why don't you take it from there? Yeah, to me, this story shows both how far we've come and how far backwards um, we seem to still be at least in terms of the direction we're moving or that money is moving um, in this ecosystem. So Blast, like you said, is this layer two. In less than a week, it's got $600 million deposited into it. So what is it at this point? It's just a wallet on Ethereum with a three out of five multi-sig, meaning three people out of five people. We don't know who they are, which is kind of a common thing because we want to keep them anonymous for security. But three people kind of have the ability to move these funds wherever. And right now, like I said, it's just a wallet. The Blast team promises that this wallet will soon become a layer two blockchain. The information, though, past the fact that it will be a quote unquote optimistic rollup, sort of like optimism, one of the types of rollups that we've talked about on this show, the information past that is pretty sparse. We don't really know what it's going to be. So the reason why we've seen all this money here is because of this crazy incentive scheme where they say you're going to get yield. Um, if you deposit into this spark contract that does not have withdrawals into this wallet that doesn't allow you to take your funds back. And that yield comes from two places. First, it comes from rehypothecating assets, putting them into places like Lido. Essentially, they're just taking user deposits and putting them mostly into Lido, the liquid staking protocol on Ethereum today, and giving users some of the returns. But a lot of the money and a lot of the reason why you've seen hype around this is because of this FOMO marketing where it's like, hey, not only are you going to get these market-leading yields, but also if you invite other people to deposit into this wallet that you can't currently withdraw from, at least for three months until we say we're going to launch this thing, you're also going to be entitled to a larger share of this airdrop, this new token that we're going to print out and distribute to early adopters. Um, Why that token should be worth money, just like anything else here, we don't know. The market might give it money, uh, might say it's worth money. Honestly, my bet is it probably will. I mean, this is not investment advice at all. I don't know if the tone of this would make one want to invest into something like Blast, but there's a good chance this is crypto. That airdrop will be worth some money, but it still kind of harkens back to to these days from before where it's like people were willing to put their money into these protocols um, with flimsy 
technical specs or at least flimsy, you know, kind of opaque inner workings just because of hype. And that's why people are, are angry about this, including one of their lead investors. It is true. Everything you're saying, although it's also true, if you go back to DeFi summer of 2020 and just earlier this year, the example of Coinbase's base, sometimes projects just, this is the way it works in crypto. It's just somehow people find these things to stick money into. It's pretty fascinating. Well, it's like the bank and freed black box thing. Remember that from the DeFi days where he got in trouble for this, even though he was actually, I think, trying to make fun of this system where all that DeFi was in a lot of cases or yield farming was putting money into black boxes, closing your eyes. I don't care what happens there and money comes out. And that was seen as like kind of a, you know, silly sort of mechanic and was, you know, the entire space was roasted and he was roasted. As a result, um, he made those comments to Matt Levine on Bloomberg. Um, odd lots. I mean, just just looking at the the DeFi llama here, and a six hundred twenty million already in this thing on total value like TVL. That would that's basically Solana. You yeah. Know? So, you put this into my story too. It's bigger than Coinbase's base. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like which was you know, seen as a huge success. It's got around 582 million in several months. So this is a lot of money. So even though people are yelling about it, right? Like who cares if people are yelling about it if the space, you know, hasn't learned if in dollar terms or or doesn't care in dollar terms. And hey, who's to say this is really, you know, it's probably not a scam. Otherwise Paradigm would go under. That's a big, you know, <laughs> it would be a huge hit to its reputation. So We'd have anyway. a lot of work to do if Paradigm went under. But anyway, you know, I'm also like a little bit off of that. I'm looking at L2B and you're right. It, it is, there's more now, there's more money locked into Blast than Base. The only two that are, have more is Arbitrum and Optimism. So I'm wondering, like, does this even have a chance to really compete with some of these other L2s? I was also like perusing Twitter X, I'm whatever. And, you know, when all this was going down, and it was really interesting to see some of these L2 founders, specifically Brendan Farmer from from Polygon, noted that from a technical side, like, I wouldn't even know why people would want to put their money into something that claims to be an L2 if there's no documentation showing that there's fraud proofs or fault proofs. The whole debate with with Stephen from Arbitrum came back up again about fraud versus ZK proofs. So, you know, just that there's no technology, or at least there's no evidence of technology that's sort of backing this thing. And so, you know, there's all this money locked into it, but there's no security mechanisms in place. And so I'm wondering, even with a price tag, does that mean that it still can compete with these other L2, like L2s? Are, are some of the founders that are sort of leading this space worried about what this means for the ecosystem? Like, I don't know, what's what What have you sort of heard about all this? Yeah, I mean, back in the days of yield farming, when we were talking about these black boxes, you saw this phenomena where you just have mercenary sort of yield farmers, where they'd come in, drop their money wherever it's going to get the biggest yields or get the most promised airdrop, and then leave as soon as they arrive once withdrawals unlock, once that airdrop comes and hits. Um, whatever, you know, the the time scale is um, or how things are set up, the incentive model in that system. So that's something that we might see here. Um, and whether it can sustain users is really going to depend on the, A, continued incentives, whether it can continue to offer incentives to users, which it says it'll be able to do because it does differentiate itself, at least at a high level. We don't know how it's going to be built, but they do say they're going to give native yields by reinvesting people's money, people's deposits behind the scenes into yield-bearing protocols like Lido. 
um, which means that at a surface level for users using it, even if it's not as safe, and that's a whole other conversation, we don't know because we just don't have the details of what this thing's ultimately going to look like. Even if it's not as safe of a platform, as far as users are concerned, just looking at it, using this thing, they might just have a system that works the same as Optimism or Arbitrum, but also pays them yields a little bit on top. And, you know, the bet here is that that's actually going to be a good retention strategy. But again, we don't actually know how they're going to do that in the long term. There's so much we don't know. And there's so much that we still don't know about their security system. Yeah, there's more to say about how they're currently keeping money secure with this multi-signature wallet. And we have some of that in the story. But, you know, that's another thing. Let's just take a tiny little you know, moment and talk about some news that I covered last night which was the news that Celo blockchain, which is, you know, tiny compared to Ethereum and Solana. Well, not, you know, it's about one. Let's see. I think I looked it up last night. It was number 27, the 27th largest blockchain, according to DeFi Llama. Okay. You know, a lot of times you're not really talking about the 27th, number 27. You know, who's number 27? In this case, Celo is seen as a legit project, you know, with a decent community and smart people. And and they're looking for somebody to basically merge with or merge into, right? And so they're talking to all these different layer two teams. Basically, they're a standalone blockchain. They're going to turn into a layer two on Ethereum. And initially, they were just going to use Optimism's OP stack, and then all of a sudden Polygon came in and said, hey, why don't you use us? And then Matter Labs came in after that and said, hey, why don't you use us? So it, 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 this is one of the rare fun moments where not it's not all scripted. You know, we're, we're having some competition. We went from all these layer two announcements that just sort of show up. Blast is kind of like that. Hey, here, it's out, you know, or it's up or whatever. Uh, in this case, it's more of a, okay, we're going to have a contest and there's so much money on the line and marketing and pride and first mover advantage. And as, as my, one of my ideas has just been, it's so hard for anyone from the outside to really judge who's got the best tech on these things. And so we defer to these teams who are basically the customers kicking the tires and making a choice. Are you going to buy a Hyundai? Or are you going to buy a Honda? Or are you going to buy a Tesla? You know, so, and anyway, they came out last night with the framework. They're going to evaluate over the next month or actually just over the next couple of weeks. And then they're going to make a decision by mid-January. So we're going to see who they pick, but it's interesting. I don't think Blast has really come clean on who they're using. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about that, Sam? I don't think we know anything. I mean, you, you kind of just like hit it, what you just said there. Like, we still don't know how this thing is going to work, which is kind of at the, the core of this entire story. If they choose one of these big stacks, it would be a boon for that stack on some level, because of course, more money flowing into any ecosystem is in this world typically deemed a good thing. Again, the sustainability of this business is going to come down to how they continue to retain users in the long term. And whatever ecosystem it chooses, if it can't figure out a strategy to do that, or if it fails to do that, which could be a big PR mess, will have ramifications for its partners as well as it, the core technology or the, the core team itself. I will say that 
it sounds like their cello is going to make its it has its timeline, its framework ready in January. Blast will blast off in February. So we'll have to, you know, keep an eye on the L2 race and stacks in that time of the year. It seems like it won't be leaving us in 2024. Fair point, Mark. And it, it does. It's just, this never ceases to give us the the news, the gift from the news gods on the layer two race. It's just like a new thing all the time. Uh, anyway, all right, we should probably wrap it there. Want to thank our amazing producer, Michelle Musso, who is behind the scenes making us sound good. And we want to thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions or any stories, tips that you want to pass off to us or any comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com subject line, the protocol. You can also listen to us weekly on Coindesk Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, please, please, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Protocol, on Coindesk.com. Thanks a lot. See you next week. 